If you would please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, please. John chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 1 through 5. If you're reading from one of the Bibles in the pew in front of you, that is page number 886. 886. We'll be reading John chapter 1, the first five verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Good morning, church. It is so good to finally be here. It's, uh, we scheduled this meeting about four years ago, so it's been on my calendar for quite a while, and I've uh, so been looking forward to, to being here. And already in the first uh, just couple of hours now, I've really already come to appreciate not only your friendliness, but I love, I love being in an assembly that's multi-ethnic and multilingual this morning. It does my heart good to see God's people come together. That type of unity not only is encouraging for us, amen, uh, but it is a testimony to what Jesus does in bringing people together. Uh, I've appreciated this congregation from afar. Now I'm glad to be here this week and excited to get to know you, but I do want to say uh, my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law, Josh and Lindsay Fierce, have our recent new members here, so I had even more reason to, to want to be here. I probably should have waited till the end of the week before I told you that we were related. So if you don't care for my sermons, don't take it out on them. But uh, they have enjoyed being a part of this church family, and I'm so looking forward to spending time with you this week, getting to know you, but especially in talking about Jesus. We said in our Bible class this morning that what John is trying to accomplish in his gospel account is to invite his readers to come and see. Come and see what he has seen. Come and hear what he has heard. Come to Jesus, listen to Jesus, and see Jesus for who he is. And that's what we're going to do this week. It's going to spend some time together and invite you and me, and we're going to come together and see who Jesus is, see Jesus for who he is, allow him to tell us who he is. Uh, so that's what uh, we're all about. And I want to start with the prologue, which is the first 18 verses. We won't look at all of them this morning, but the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, we call that the prologue. It sort of introduces everything and all of the themes that John is going to unfold about Jesus over the next few chapters. The prologue sort of encapsulates all of those things. And when I read that, I think that that introduction is such a testimony to the inspiration of Scripture. You know, usually when we talk about Scripture being inspired, that the writers were carried along, as Peter says it, carried along by the Holy Spirit, usually when we say the, the word is inspired, what we tend to mean is that it's accurate. And that's true, it's accurate. But the, I think there's so much more to inspiration. What we're saying is that the Spirit of God supernaturally 
gave these authors not only accuracy, but wisdom, insight, enlightenment, even creativity to encapsulate who Jesus is in such a way that not only, not only we're inspired and we like Jesus, but that we are encouraged to, as we said this morning in class, make a decision about him, follow him, believe in him, trust in him. And John's gospel account begins with the words, in the beginning. Actually, I was going to read the entire prologue. Let's do that. Let's read the entire prologue together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's right side or at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Let, let's think about the first words of John's Gospel. In the beginning, right? In the beginning. If first words of things are incredibly important, aren't they? When we hear first words, and when we hear in the beginning, what other book does that remind us of in the Bible? Genesis, right? In the beginning. When we hear opening words to famous works, it reminds us of those original works, right? So when we hear this, we hold these truths to be self-evident. We think about the Declaration of Independence, right? I'm, I won't quiz you on your history, I guess. But uh, we, we, we hear the words, we the people of the United States. We think of the Constitution, right? Uh, four score and seven years ago, we think of the Gettysburg Address. My personal favorite, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? When we hear an opening line, it reminds us of that. And it's a bold thing for any author to borrow an opening line, right? So if a political group borrowed, we hold these truths to be self-evident, you would say, well, 
They're kind of piggybacking on the Declaration of Independence. They want us to, to think about the Declaration because what they're about to say, somehow they're saying that maybe this is a sequel or we're adding this onto or we want you to think of this in the same vein as that. So if somebody makes a movie and they begin with those opening lines, it's because they want to draw your mind back to that. So when John begins with the words, in the beginning, we think about the book of Genesis. And it's an incredibly bold claim for John to begin his gospel account by saying, this is the creation story, right? Because that's what we think of when we hear the words, in the beginning, this is the creation story. And John wants us to know something about the creator that he's about to unfold something about the Creator. He's about to unfold something about God. He's about to unfold something about creation. And as we not only read the prologue, but as we continue reading through John's Gospel account, we see that he's going to say a lot of things about the creation, about the world, about the Creator God, but also about new creation. Think about the, the beginning, in the beginning. When we think about the book of Genesis, what was the world like before creation? The Spirit of God hovering over the waters, and the world is formless, remember? Formless and void. It's dark, and it's lifeless. And John wants us to picture the world as Jesus comes into the world similarly, that it's dark and it's lifeless. And then in the creation account, God says, let there be light. And Jesus says about the Word that's come into the world, that in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So this Creator is coming into the world, and He is bringing about new creation. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that all those who are in Christ are a new creature or a new creation. Jesus is causing people, John chapter 3, he's causing people to be born again, to be reborn. And all those who believe in him, he gives the right to become children of God. John is setting this story up to say this is a creation story. This is the story of the Creator. This is the story of the Creator coming here and bringing about new creation. We read in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So let's consider some questions. Actually, that's at the end. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave that alone. You guys, I'll, I'll have it printed in your Bibles. Okay, so let's let's just open up our Bibles if we can. So let's think about these words. So John says, "In the beginning was the what? The Word." And that's interesting, isn't it? Why is it that John calls Jesus the Word? Why did God, why did Jesus, why did John choose to describe Jesus as God's Word? Let's think about our words. We all have words. Have you ever said something 
and later you think back to something that you said and that you, were, you are ashamed of something that you said? Have you ever said something and you made a promise and you said, I'm going to do that, and then later your priorities sort of changed? And you look back on those words and you say, well, those words were true at the time, but now they're not so true. Have you, ever, have you ever said something and you've made a promise and then sort of things happen that you didn't foresee happening and you didn't realize that those things were going to happen and you look back at your words and you think, well, those words didn't come true. Or maybe you've said something and you knew at the moment that you said it, it wasn't true and that it was a lie. That when your words come out of your mouth, just kind of picture, I know words aren't tangible and you can't see them and you can't put your hands on them. I was thinking about a, a cartoon. You know in cartoons, like in the comic strips, that you, you picture words as kind of a speech bubble, right? And so just kind of picture your words as a speech bubble, something that you said a long time ago or maybe something you said last week or something you said yesterday and maybe those words at one time, maybe they accurately reflected your character. And you can look at those words and you say, yeah, that's, that's me. I agree with that. That's true. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm headed. That's what I want. That's my will. But then after a while, you could look at those words and you could say, well, that doesn't really reflect me anymore. Those, real, those words aren't, they're not like what I would say now. They're not what I want to do now. That's changed. My words have changed. They no longer accurately reflect me. But you know what? That's never happened with God. When a command or a promise goes out from God, again, picture like a speech bubble. When a command or a word or a promise goes out from the Lord, it perfectly represents Him. It perfectly and always represents Him. His words, His commands and promises, His will, His ideas, His thoughts, they're not like you and I. They never, they never change. And God never changes. His promises, His commands, His thoughts, His ideas, they always accurately reflect Him. And His words, my words and your words, I mean, sometimes they're kind of flimsy, aren't they? We say, we say talk is cheap, right? Talk is cheap, right? Sometimes we say something and it accomplishes what we want it to accomplish, and sometimes it doesn't. But God's words aren't like that. When Jesus, or when God speaks a word, when God sends a command out, or a promise out, or a thought out, or a message out, it always accomplishes what God wants it to accomplish, and it always accurately reflects Him. No matter how much time passes, hundreds and hundreds of years could go, a day could go by, and you could look at your old words and say, wow, I wish I hadn't said that. That doesn't reflect me anymore. That's not true anymore. But with God, a thousand years could go by and that word would still be true. Or if God made a promise and it hasn't come true yet, even though it's been a long time, it will come true because that's, that's the power of God's word. There is no expiration on God's word and it always accurately reflects him. It is true, it is powerful, it is unchanging, and it is always reflective of his 
character. Now, there's a couple passages that I want us to look at. If we're going to understand John 1 and verse 1, if we're going to understand what John means when he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, then I think we need to, we need to listen to the, the books on which John is drawing from in the Law and the Prophets in our Old Testament. One time, just a few weeks ago, somebody posted on Facebook and they said they were teaching a Bible class and a kid wanted to know, what does it mean when it says Jesus is the Word? And the responses I saw from Christian people, some Christian adults said, well, just read the Bible. <laughs> just read the Bible. That's what they're asking you about is what does that mean? Somebody said, John 1.1, 1, 1. that's what it, no, 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 stop, listen. What does that mean? When John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does he mean by that? Look in your Bible, if you got your Bible, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. Isaiah puts it this way, the grass withers, the, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Amen? When God makes a promise, or when God makes a command, or when God sends a message, or when God speaks an idea, when the word would come to a prophet, and God would say, I promise you this is the way things will be, or I tell you this is what I want you to do, or I say this about these people, or this about that idea, and God speaks a word, his word will endure forever. And then in chapter 55, Isaiah says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout. Think about water falling from the sky, right? It falls down, and then it, it's effective, isn't it? When you ever lived in the desert in a dry place, I know you get a lot of rain here. More than, I used to live in Midland and Abilene and West Texas, and we desperately wanted the rain, and when it comes down, it does its job, doesn't it? It always does its job. It waters the ground, it makes it bring forth and sprout, it gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so God says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is powerful. It is reflective of his character. It is unchanging. You could say that the word, the word that comes out from God, a command, a promise, an idea, a message, a thought, that it is both distinct from God, right? It's distinct from the Father, but yet at the same time it is divine. And it proceeds out of heaven to accomplish God's will, and it perfectly represents God's character and his will. And so when we think about the idea that John says in the beginning was the word, and he's talking about Jesus, that Jesus is both God, divine, and yet at the same time distinct from the Father, that he, 
And this is John's message all throughout the Gospel account, that he proceeds from the Father, that God has, John 3.16, sent his only begotten Son, and that Jesus perfectly represents the character and the will of God. And it's that idea, church. It's that idea that we need to focus on. That Jesus perfectly represents the will and the character of God. Have you ever wondered about who God is? There's whole, whole studies, whole studies in school. I mean, you can get a doctorate degree in theology, right? And we all are theologians to some extent, aren't we? We all sort of draw ideas and conclusions about who is God. And some people, and you've known them, and maybe there's some that are here this morning. Some people, maybe they grew up with a harsh father who seemed to always be angry and who always expected too much and was unforgiving and just not tender or compassionate. And maybe, maybe it's because of that that they've assumed God the Father must be like that. We all, for one reason or another, have drawn conclusions about who God is. And it's one thing to have written words, and, and that's what God's people had for a very long time, written words, because the word from God, a message, an idea, a command, a promise, would come from heaven and would come to a prophet, and that prophet would relay those words from God to God's people. And it's one thing to have those spoken or written words. But Jesus, or John says, verse 14, the word became, what church? Flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John wants us to know, not only is this a creation story, that God is bringing about new creation, this is a story about the Creator becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Jesus is God's word, God's message, God's promises, God's commands, the thoughts of God. Jesus is God's word embodied. Jesus is God's glory embodied. Jesus is God's grace embodied. Jesus is God's truth embodied. Why is it that John wants us to know, if you're going to read this gospel account, if you're going to listen to this story, if you're going to come and see Jesus, then you need to understand that Jesus is God's word embodied. Jesus is God's glory embodied. Not only is he sent from the Father like a, like a command or a promise, and just like the rain that comes down from heaven and it brings forth growth on the earth, God's word is going to come forth from heaven and it's going to accomplish the will of God who sent that word. But not only that, it, he perfectly represents the will and the character of God. 
Do you want to know what God is like? You want to know what God is like? My whole life I wanted to know what is God like? And I've had Bible class teachers, and I've had parents, and I've had adults, and I've had people try to share with me what God is like. And there's all sorts of stories in the Bible that they would turn to, and they would say, see, God is like that. And it depends on what they wanted to motivate me to do or not to do, depending on the story they picked, right? Sometimes they pick stories of God striking somebody dead, right? And they say, see, there, that's what God is like. And those are important stories, don't get me wrong. But they have to be read and understood in the context of this great big story that we're talking about. And John is saying, if you want to know God, if you want to know who God is, if you want to see his perfect word embodied, look no further than Jesus. God is exactly like Jesus of Nazareth. Now that's bold, isn't it? For John to say, let me take you back to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning was God. Let me tell you about the Word who was with God and who is God. And that Word that's gone to the prophets over the years, various prophets in various ways, and that Word that's gone out from God and accomplished all kinds of things, now that Word isn't just a spoken Word and it's not just a written Word. Now that Word is flesh. And He's dwelt among us. You want to see the glory of God? Look no further than Jesus. You want to see what God's character is like? Look no further than Jesus. You want to see what God wants to accomplish in the earth? Look no further than Jesus. John says in John 1.18, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. One paraphrase translation says it like this. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So as you read these stories in this gospel account, and you see this Jesus guy who goes to a wedding and they run out of wine, In that culture, it would have been incredibly embarrassing for the family. And God, Jesus, makes wine for the family and their friends to serve. John is saying God is exactly like that. Or when Jesus sits at a well and reaches across cultural and ethnic and religious barriers and loves a woman that no one else would love. John is saying God is exactly like that. Or when the religious leaders find a woman who's caught in adultery and bring her to Jesus and say, should we stone her? And Jesus protects her and defends her and runs the bad guys off. John is saying God is exactly like that. Or when Jesus goes into the temple and drives off the thieves that are taking advantage of and defiling the house of God, John is saying Jesus is exactly like that. When Jesus sits down and has meals with both Pharisees and tax collectors and sinners and people who are on the cultural outs in society, John is saying God is exactly like that. When Jesus touches the untouchables and loves the unlovables and forgives the unforgiven and heals the sick and gives sight to the blind 
and gives hearing to the deaf and raises the dead and gives his life as an atonement for many, John is saying what? God is exactly like that. The question is, do we believe that? Do we believe that God is not only through Jesus making all things new, that he's made us new people, that he wants to make us new people, but that God is exactly like Jesus of Nazareth. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's right hand, he has made him known. Because I know people, and you know people, who say, I would never come into a church building. The church building would probably fall down around me if I ever stepped foot in a church building. I've just done too much. I've said too much. I've gone all the wrong places with all the wrong people and done all the wrong things, and God would never forgive me and never love me. And maybe you felt that way. I've known people that have put off being baptized because they believe that God is the kind of God who is perpetually angry, that he's harsh, that he is eager to punish people. But Jesus is our theology. Do you want a complete and comprehensive theology? It's Jesus. God is exactly like Jesus. Are you saying God doesn't take sin seriously? No, the very opposite. So much so that he gave himself to take care of our sin problem. And he calls us to repentance and newness of life to change us and transform us and calls us to repentance. Jesus takes sin more seriously than we can even imagine. But if you don't think that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and mercy then you haven't yet embraced the truth that God is exactly like Jesus. So my question for us this morning is pretty simple. What would you do this week if you truly believed that God was exactly like Jesus? Maybe there are some of you who would run to Him. For too long, You've been hiding from him because you believe that God was harsh and perpetually angry and eager to punish infraction. But when you look to Jesus and you realize that Jesus is God's word, all of God's promises, all of God's commands, all of God's message, all of God's ideas, no longer just spoken word or written word, but Jesus is God's word embodied, God's glory embodied, God's grace embodied, God's truth embodied. If you want to know God, look no further than Jesus. And maybe some of you who have been hiding from him because you thought God was one way, but you look at Jesus and you say, if God is like that, then I want to be where he is. Or maybe, maybe if we truly embrace the fact that God is exactly like Jesus, maybe it would cause us to reach across some cultural barriers, to make friends with people we hadn't made friends with before, to break down some walls that need to be broken down. 
and say, if God is exactly like Jesus, then that's exactly the kind of person I need to be. Or maybe if we read through the entirety of John's gospel account and we realize that if God is exactly like Jesus, then we ought to make love our highest priority. What is it that Jesus said? Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. That if God is exactly like Jesus, then my highest priority in life should be love. That's what we want to do this week. That's what we want to do every week. That if we realize God is exactly like Jesus, then our biggest request in life will be, then tell me more about Jesus. And maybe there's somebody here this morning and you've been hiding from God for far too long because you had an idea about God that was based on one story or another that was pulled out of context. Or you have an idea about God that was based on your experiences growing up. Or you have an idea about God that was based on your own father and his shortcomings. Or you have an idea about God based on culture or based on what you've heard or based on what you've thought. Or you have an idea based on your own sins and your own shortcomings. But then you look at Jesus and you say, if God is like Jesus, then I want to be where he is and I want to embrace and receive and experience the grace and mercy and love and forgiveness that he has to give. And we want to love you and we want to help you and we all together with eyes wide open want to see Jesus for who he is because when we see Jesus, then we've seen God and we want to go out into the world and live like people who truly believe and embrace the fact that God is exactly like Jesus because Jesus is God. And if we can help you, if we can help you put Jesus on in baptism or we can pray with you or encourage you in any way this morning, now would be a great opportunity to come forward as we stand and sing. Thank you.